0: To dive right in with this question. What matters to you?
1: What matters to me? What matters is helping to raise the consciousness of the planet at this point and doing what I can to help to facilitate that in a responsible, spiritual, elevated way.
0: And does your relationship to your faith uh, have an impact on on your work to do that?
1: Definitely. Definitely. It makes up who I am as an individual. And so having uh, faith and devotion in a particular way of life and belief system is ultimately important to me. It enables me to do the work that I do.
0: And it seems like There is this uh, division that happens, you know, I think with many of us between whether or not we're hopeful or we're feeling like everything is going in the wrong direction, right? Um, So do you have that pulled yourself into, oh my gosh, what's happening in the world right now? Like, you know, if you watch the news and you see everything that's happening um, or trusting in God and just saying, I don't understand You know, the reasons why all these things are happening, but I'm not going to lose my faith.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think a little of both, actually. It is quite overwhelming when you see the news. And um, at the same time, uh, to understand that it's part of what I call the Kali-yug. It's part of a darkness before the light. And if anything, it makes each one of us who is conscious on this planet to be so, even in a more comprehensive way, taking it more seriously. For instance, like voting. Mm. It, uh, you can't sit this one out, you know. So um, definitely there's hope because the sun will always shine, whether mm. it's cloudy today. But at the same time, it is concerning. I'm very concerned about it. But again, doing what you can to help uh, to make it better. Uh, complain about it, but do what you can to make it better. Hmm.
0: This responsibility is what I hear you, you talking about, that each of us have to make things better. Um, often, I think it can feel overwhelming, um, especially in today's world, With we're exposed to so many different things, and the question comes, what does my life matter? Or does it matter what, what I do? Uh, the flip side, I think, is what you're talking about, is it matters very much. And our lives are important. And that choice that each of us make between feeling like my life doesn't matter and my life means everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. No, it does matter. And, you know, bluntly said, you know, the world doesn't need another idiot mm-hmm. walking the planet. Mm-hmm. But it does need another conscious person. And however it's manifested in the work they do or how they live their life, that does matter. That another conscious person is walking the planet. And again, however they manifest that consciousness is ultimately important.
0: And isn't it also practical to just focus on yourself and your life? Because that's what we have a more intimate relationship and control with, right? We can't control all those other things. We can control this body, this form. So on a very rational level, doesn't it make more sense to focus on that and spend our times working on our own personal development?
1: Yeah, I think both. Both is necessary. Of course, that's ultimately important to work on yourself and do your practice and um, live a particular lifestyle, whatever it is that a person believes. And at the same time, the responsibility as a citizen in this country, like I said, to go out and vote and not sit this one out. So it's it's both. It's my own personal life as well as the bigger we. Right.
0: Uh, but do you find that um, if you do more work with the inner self, the personal self, that those external uh, decisions um, just happen? Like... Okay, you you get more clean and healthy yourself. So then that opens you up to voting and and having a life of service. Like, right, there's this relationship between those two things. It's not that, you know, you just focus on doing your own work, and then that leads to sitting inside all day and and not taking any action.
1: Right. It's it's also a social conscious responsibility. Hmm. So... Yes, it's definitely necessary you do what you can in your own personal life and, and get the best version of yourself that you can. And then, you know, of course, it doesn't stop there. But how else can I facilitate change? What other things can I do that are going to make a difference?
0: I wanted to ask you um, if you wouldn't mind just explaining what Kundalini Yoga is briefly.
1: Mm-hmm. Kundalini yoga, the definition is the yoga of awareness. So it's a conscious effort to work with the energy within our body and to raise that energy to our higher centers of consciousness. So we um, it's about not just doing postures perfectly, which is the physical aspect of yoga, but it's also about the mental uh, focus and, and state of mind, the the decisiveness, the consciousness mentally within us, and then also the spirit, the vivaciousness, the love of life, the prana, the vitality. And that's where we, ex- where we extend out. So again, it's not just how nice I look in a leotard or even how perfectly I do a posture. All that is important, but it's not the, nest, the end goal. You could be a yogi and do do it in a chair because that's all—that's what you can do. But yet, at the same time, be a yogi, which definition is unaffected by the pair of opposites, hmm. which means, you know, during a negative or a positive situation, you remain neutral as a yogi. So if a person is unable to sit on the floor and do what we know as traditional yoga set, and uh, they may have limited capacity and only do what's possible in a chair, but yet still be a very conscious person or neutral-minded person, unaffected by the pair of opposites, um, that's also a definition. But actually, the yoga of awareness is what's kundalini yoga is and we're working with the energy within the body
0: what do you think that word is so important awareness to be aware
1: well it's opposed to sleeping mm. to um getting what we call temporary amnesia where sometimes an individual goes to sleep in life and um they start forgetting their ultimate connection to their source, whether you call it creator, God, universal energy, or you don't have to call it anything, but that to know that we're humbled to one thing and that's the one who gives us the breath of life. Mm -hmm. And as we remember that, we feel connection, we feel connected to that source when we forget that is sometimes when we start chasing after things that don't ultimately give us happiness, like chasing after money or power or finding great identity in my beauty. You know, these are just, you know, temporary. That's not ultimately your value. But I believe that the value... Ultimately in person is how much they feel connected to their source It's a great humility that as great as we are that we're humbled to something, and that's the remembrance of our Creator, the one who gives us, maintains us, sustains us every moment of the day. And the proof is the breath of life.
0: Mm-hmm. The humility um, makes me think that there really isn't anything to take credit for. And that feels like a very far out idea in our culture today mm-hmm. because it's, it's all about uh, what is my value? How do I stack up uh, to someone else? and it's all just taking credit for my actions, for who I am, what I look like. But if we're humble and instead saying this is just how I this is how I was created, you know, in all parts of me, not just my physical body, but my mind, then what is there to take credit for? Right.
1: Yeah, and it, I think it goes back to what we talked about that remembrance that Yes, if you are given a particular talent in something, you know one way of looking at it is yes, taking personal credit for it. I'm fantastic. I created this, and it begins and ends with you. Rather than another person may view it as yes, it's true. I did create that, but it's it's a gift that I was given. I'm like, like a conduit. Mm-hmm. And you remember that it is a gift, you're a conduit, and it could be taken from you also at any moment. Mm. And that that's what I refer to as humility, a grace, mm. an attitude of grace. Mm.
0: Personally, in your day-to-day life and within your day, do you feel as as if this is a constant? feeling for you of, of remembering this humility and, and this grace? Or is it kind of a process of, of remembering and forgetting and remembering? And is that where the sadhana comes in, where the spiritual practices, where, you know, it's a process of reminding ourselves, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah.
1: Right. I, I think the whole thing is a constant process. It's like we're never there. Yet. There's no there's no graduation. I mean it's every day. Mm. Every day and you know, one can only pray and hope for it, that they live in that state of awareness. But you know, to be very practical, we're human beings. We we get into things we forget during the busyness of the day. And sometimes we're so involved in whatever it is we're doing, yeah, we forget. We you know, it's not I can't say it's a hundred percent constant, but Again, soon enough there'll be sadhana time or time to meditate, where we have the gift the gift of that remembrance. So you try not to stray too far away from those things that keep us in that remembrance, in that uh, state of mind of humility.
0: So this program that that you that you did this weekend. Um, it's on the yogic science of, of addiction, right? So what is the science of addiction?
1: Well, what we are um, have organized is we know about addictions and how rampant they are, not only in substances, but also behavioral. And I think... It's happening more and more because people are feeling more disconnected from their source. And it's almost like going around with a big hole in the center of their being. And that emptiness is trying to be filled with other things that temporary give that fulfillment. But of course, they're only temporary. What we've done is applied the yogic teachings, whether it's a Kriya, a meditation, even nutritionally, a particular diet, or or juice blend, or vitamin therapy, to help to correct and heal that um, personality of addiction. So, and it's all possible, um, but it's a process, and it's uh, it's a new way of dealing with even healthcare in this country, because I think we have this quick fix mentality, here, take this pill and everything will be fine. And That's really a fantasy. It's a non-functional reality to think that this pill is going to satisfy and take care of all my needs. Um, it just doesn't work that way. It works through constant Practice and diligence and dedication and devotion, physically, mentally, and spiritually.
0: You spoke about this hole, like a feeling of emptiness, and therefore the substances fill that hole. Do you have anything to say about how that hole is created to begin with? Um, you know, are, are children born with that hole, or are children full? And then somehow that fullness goes away and a sort of emptiness replaces it. And then the addiction and substance abuse uh, comes after that.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a really good question, Ave. I'm glad you asked it because, you know, my belief is that the children are born innocent and pure and they're born intuitively intelligent. Their crown, their top chakra is open the soft spot on the baby's head. They're completely one with their creator. They're completely connected. They're intuitive. And then what happens? What happens? Things happen in people's lives, in children's lives, as they are growing and highly impressionable in what we call they, uh, they get imprinted into their psyche, a certain belief system, according to their day-to-day reality. So if, for instance, they're going to be growing in an environment where the communication to this child is either we don't have enough time for you, be quiet. Um, they put a a crying child in another room. Well, what message is that child getting? Rather than tending to their needs, they're getting rejected. That's all they feel. I'm isolated. Maybe my crying doesn't have a voice. I'm not important. Maybe they're getting physically hit or slapped. Very mistrusting, fearful environment. A violent situation. If they're getting scolded and yelled at is another mental trauma that could be formulating and on and on and on and so doesn't take long maybe three years Yogi Bhajan's si teachings were that you could be a potential you know whether it's drugs or whatever your drug of choice is could even be food by three years old by seven years old you're you're confirmed. By 11, you're guaranteed into it unless something changes. And so they begin to see these patterns that nothing that I could do can facilitate change. I can't change the way my parents treat me or the way they listen to me or don't. And so After a while, that becomes their belief system. This is what I believe. Who I am in relation to myself, to my parents, to my environment, how the world is at large. If their little world at home is very mistrusting or fearful, they may carry that out to the rest of the world. The world is a mistrusting place. Because that's all they know. Mm -hmm. And so... You could basically sum that up in two words. It's a it's emotionally painful. And once you get to that place, nobody wants to go through that every day to have that kind of pain. Mm. It's like, you know, let me just go numb and I don't want to feel this. And once you get to that place, there are many ways how to go numb and just survive rather than thrive. Mm.
0: That I think is a big difference in outlook on life, whether we're moving through our lives, just trying to survive, or as I've heard you say, that this life is a gift. <laughs> Seeing it that way is an opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the substances, do you think substance abuse is, is directly related to that mentality of, of just trying to survive, just trying to get through? Sure,
1: you know, it's a lot of it. And you know, I have to say, it's not only situations as dramatic as what I presented. Some people use substances or alcohol, again, or whatever their drug of choice is, and they have a per- perfectly healthy home environment growing up, so uh, they're not immune to it either. But I think the one commonality is that disconnection of spirit. Is you know, once that disconnection and disharmony grows, people are growing in an environment where they really don't know who they are or who they belong to, what their purpose in life is, what their values are. And so... They may grow, again, whether a healthy environment at home or not. They may grow in an environment where they just, um, they're lost. And they may find their identity in how much money I have or how much power I have, how many people I could push around or hire and fire at will. Um, So I think the one commonality is that disconnection of their of their
0: spirit. And is the connection to the spirit directly related to our ability to slow down just the speed of our mode of operation, right? Do you need to slow down a bit to take the time and reflect on your life and and consider what does my heart Mm -hmm. even want? What do I want to be doing with with this time, but it, it seems very easy to just move so fast, and so is is the speed at which our kind of our culture moving at mm-hmm. um, an obstacle in connection with the spirit.
1: Yeah, I think very much so because things are so accelerated. Nobody has time for anything, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. And so the pace that we're operating where everything is available to us, you know, through the internet, you know, through our, our Google, you can Google anything. And, but there's pluses and minuses to that. It's true. Everything is available for every one of us. Everything is transparent, which has its amazing asset. And, of course, the negative aspect of that is eventually we just have the possibility of blowing a fuse, It's too much. You know, the uh, Yogi Bhajan coined it, uh, information dementia syndrome, is that with this bombardment of information coming at us very fast and unending, is eventually we just hit a gap. And that's when you just, the, the wire gets frazzled and the nervous system cannot contain with all this information bombardment, that's when people start doing very, very kind of crazy things, jumping out the window, having a nervous breakdown, or just the way they live their life, very edgy and risky, um, not really uh, positive. So I think the, the acceleration through all these devices, is highly stressful, and people are just looking for any kind of way to de-stress, even if it's for a moment. So they'll reach for a, you know, bourbon on the rocks, or some pill, or even in food. You know, for some people, food becomes their numbing uh, agent. So, Or, you know, there are many, many different ways how people check out. Right.
0: And through your experience, how have you seen people turn the corner? Like, is the most common way by having some sort of breakdown and kind of going past your edge? Or do you see many, many cases where someone says, okay, I, I see the direction I'm going in, starting to you know, feel so much stress. I'm relying on all of these different things. I don't want to keep going like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any recommendations if if someone kind of sees, okay, I'm moving in this direction. I want to turn the corner.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, at that moment and period in a person's life is actually quite exciting because they are at a crossroads And they have choices, and they realize they have choices. And that's good to have options. And I think the wonderful thing that's happening, especially here in America, is that yoga is becoming more and more popular and accepted and available. And so, you know, once people have that curiosity, even about what else is there for me, uh, many times some class may be available right down the street, um, just because times are changing. And so I think that part of it is good. And just to continue to nurture even that curiosity or that slight questioning of what's it all about. Certainly, if a person has some kind of a breakdown, whether it's bankruptcy or a health issue or a divorce in in someone's life, as painful and difficult as any one of those are, sometimes that becomes the motivator of change. They realize that they don't have it all together, that they're not fully in control of everything and rotating the planet, that um, maybe that's their source of humility. Hmm. So different people find it through different ways, but either way, it's a blessing. Hmm.
0: Do you think it's important to realize the significance of social pressure, our sangha, our community? Um, meaning that, do you find that human beings in general are social creatures so that what everyone is doing around me is going to impact what I do myself? And if everyone else is um, you know, eating in this kind of way, using these things... It's very confusing, right? To say I'm not going to be included in any of that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to step step outside. Um, the easier thing seems to say, okay, everyone's doing this. It might it, it, it probably makes sense. Otherwise, why would they do it? Mm-hmm. And so to ins- instead be like a harbinger of of change and develop a, a, a different lifestyle. And then, as you're saying, it's already happening starting to create more of a, a lifestyle of, of yoga and yoga community. And then it becomes a lot easier when you have friends and you have examples of mm-hmm. other people who are, who are changing their habits and their lifestyles.
1: Yes. And that's what you call Sangit. And that's the support system and that's your camaraderie, your community. Um, it, it becomes a smart way to go to surround yourself with like-minded people with the same values and interests and and, and way of life, what's important to them. Um, it's difficult uh, to be around people that are living what you might call like in the undertow, you know, getting pulled down. Now, sometimes you cannot avoid it. Sometimes it might be a work environment and you can't dictate who your co-workers are. So um, sometimes you you may be able to be able to uh, make that decision with who you surround yourself with. Like a place like this, people choose to be here and like-minded people with similar values. That's a support system. The uh, probability of them maintaining that consciousness and that effort. Is high because of like minded people. Um, or, like I said, if uh, in a work environment you may not be able to dictate that and may have some other challenges. And that's also one of the reasons why we meditate and practice yoga to develop that inner strength and grit so that if you are in a situation where you're different, you could sustain that. It's not a big deal if you choose to be different or live differently and have different values. That's just your identity and you feel secure in that.
0: How about trauma and hardships of the past? Uh, Because it seems as if people can have very different uh, reactions to challenging things that have happened to them in the past. Either you can say, you know, my life has just been terrible and, you know, I have a bad, bad lot and kind of feel sorry for the situation that you're in. Or you can take that and say, if if not for that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. So the same thing can happen. And two totally different outcomes mm-hmm. or perspectives can be taken on that. Um, any any comment on that, that from your experience that you that you've seen kind of had a shift from maybe mm-hmm. the first one to the second one?
1: Well, it's very much as true. you know two people can have similar situations and um, deal with it in very different ways and process it or not process it in very different ways. you know one person may decide consciously or unconsciously to bury it and uh, and to actually forget about it but deal with some of the scars and wounds and from the past. And other people might really want to excel and be done with it and work through it in, you know, whether it's uh, counseling or yogic technology or some people medicate, you know. So different people process things in different way. But I also think, you know, all in its own time, And when it's ripe and when it's ready, the assistance will be there. Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. Do you find that much of our culture now is um, divisive in our mentality where we choose sides and also we're always kind of thinking what is better and what is worse? And so this is related to uh, substance abuse, perhaps, where it's you know, oh, if I just get high or if I just eat that, that that's good. But if I if I don't have that, then it's bad. So instead of accepting the full gamut of our lives, um, the fluctuations that happen, we're uh, compartmentalizing our lives and saying, you know, I like this, I don't like that, mm-hmm. uh, and constantly searching for what we like and avoiding what we don't like.
1: Right. And I think some of that is just judgment. You know, we put judgment on things. But, you know, um, selecting or cherry-picking situations, you know, only what I like and avoiding, well, to a certain extent, it makes sense to avoid things that, that are distasteful to you or that harmful to you. Um, and And then life hits, and there are things that just happen. So as much as a person may try to avoid it, things happen. And sometimes you just have to deal with it, and you can't get out of it. And again, it's how you deal with it. Not to create this utopian situation where you're untouched by anything what you call bad, but that, you know if and when the clouds come and that day happens you know how am i going to be able to deal with it do i have the stamina the wherewithal the trust the faith to be able to deal with it without getting sucked into it mm-hmm. or pulled down like i said into the undertow of of life but to be able to ride the waves as best you can while dealing with real life mm-hmm.
0: Are obstacles really opportunities? Like, do you, do you believe that when we encounter obstacles, that, that's actually an opportunity for us to, to grow or learn something?
1: Certainly. And it can be. But again, it's the outlook. Hmm. It's a person's outlook. You know, they could just see a challenge as, oh, here it comes again, and I'm doomed person, and not see it as any kind of opportunity. But, to, you know... You know, bear with it and, you know, just uh, not really see it as any kind of benefit so that if I meet this challenge in a successful way, I could come out of it a stronger, better person. That's a healthy outlook, I think. You know, people come out of a challenge, a crisis as almost a different person. Not that they were looking forward to going through it, but sometimes you can't go around it. And many times you come out a far better, stronger person, but not everybody sees it that way or sees every single challenge that way.
0: Hmm. I often think about, you know, whether it's rational to create challenges for ourselves, you know, if we believe that, Uh, and kind of how to guide ourselves through, through life, in terms of our relationship with challenge. So I think all of us are going to going to experience challenge no matter what, right. There's going to be aspects of life that are difficult. Um, but does it make sense to consciously, uh, create a challenge? And I think we, we do it a lot, uh, even in terms of, uh, you know, our our physical exercise. You know, you decide to do an Ironman or a marathon or something like that is a hard thing mm-hmm. to do, mm-hmm. and we identify okay, that's hard. But how am I going going to feel, you know, afterward? Um, <laughs> so myself, I'm I'm not sure where I stand on this. Whether it makes sense to think about okay, how can I work more challenges into my life, or to just say okay. I want to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, gracefully um, handle challenges right. when they come because they're going to come. Right, right.
1: You know, either way, I think I think people are just trying to figure out. You know, um, a person has to know who they who they are, mm-hmm. and so some people may decide to try to figure out who they are by winning an Olympic medal and this becomes their identity. And they've been challenged, they've challenged themselves, they've met the challenge, they've accomplished and achieved, and that becomes their identity to know who they are. And it pretty much starts and stops there at their particular talent or sport, whatever it is. Other people may choose to, you know, willingly challenge themselves just because maybe they're boredom or, you know, but I think the end goal is people just wanna know who they are, what am am I made up of? Mm. Um, And other people may not be interested in that at all. And like you said, they're just trying to avoid challenges and, you know, if they come, when they come, I'll deal with it, but I'm sure not looking for anything, not going out of my way to be challenged. And um, life is fine. (laughs) And just leave it at that. But I think the crux of it is people are just trying to figure out, who am I?
0: Mm. Is there a difference between wanting to know who am I? What am I made out of uh, just for the sake of it or in relationship to other people? Like, how do I compare? That seems like a very common motivation. You know, I don't want to just know who I am or what I'm made of. I want to know how good I am compared to other people.
1: Right. That competitive spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, certainly have that, you know, to to compare and compete. um, And your value is measured in that. Mm. I think When a person starts to lead a a more spiritual life, it seems to me that that becomes less important Mm. to compare and compete. You'll always find somebody who does things better. You'll always find someone who does things not quite as good as you do. But again, is that your value? Mm. You know, so um, I think once a person starts living more spiritual, that becomes less important. And it's more about you within you.
0: The word spiritual and a spiritual life, uh, I think we often tag people, you're a spiritual person. Do you feel that we all are spiritual and that every person you know, yearns to lead a spiritual life?
1: Definitely. I, there was a saying, you know, we're born spiritual here to lead, to experience a human existence or something like that there's a quote like that mm. is yeah i do believe that we're born spiritual all of us mm. all of us are born with the crown open mm. all of us are born intuitively intelligent children without being taught they know there's their intuitive instincts are working mm. but i think um then it's, uh, you know, we kind of deviate from that just because there are so many things to distract us mm. from that spiritual nature. Mm. But there, you know, a lot of them are just distractions and they're part of life and they're things to enjoy, but to be aware not to get attached to it.
0: Mm. Uh, which leads me to this quote from, uh, from Yogi Bhajan, you do not have the mental capacity to guide yourself by intuition. I heard him say that. You do not have the mental capacity to guide yourself by intuition. So my question is related to intuition. Uh, you know, what is our intuition, and is our does our ego often kind of masquerade as intuition, but that's not really what our intuition is.
1: Right. Good question. Well, like I've been saying, I do believe believe we've been born intuitive. And then what happens? Something happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the world is a busy place and the world is a noisy place. And so, especially in cities, that with all the noise, you know, we have very abrasive, even some of the music that we hear is very harsh and abrasive to the sense, the sensitivity of the ear. Or in the city, hearing loud noises or honking horns and just that whole busyness. In summary, it creates a desensitivity. And so what happens to the intuition? It like sets the stage for the intuition to start shutting down. That sixth sense of just knowing. And so out of necessity, it just begins to shut down and become less available to us. So much so that some people think there isn't even anything about intuition or I don't have any intuition, that they actually believe that. Actually, kundalini yoga is a way to reawaken that sleeping intuition, to reawaken that again. But I think the the question that you asked about the difference between intuition and ego is... You know, ego is, yeah, trying to make a decision, but you know that you really want a particular outcome, and you're invested in that. And your mind could play tricks, like, oh, yeah, I have a voice to do it. But the question is, were you so invested in doing that regardless? Because... As humans, when we want something, we really want it and we want it now. And we're so powerful that we could actually make things happen. We could create a sequence of events to make things happen. And if we're not, if it's not intuition and it's really our ego, many times it just blows up, (laughs) blows up at us because we wanted it, we were attached to it, we made it happen. If it's not in our best interest, it could let us know pretty quickly this wasn't really a good idea. Mm-hmm. But to, um, to really work at quieting the mind and its attachments and allurements and really, you know, in through meditation, get to that place where that voice of the silence is actually speaking Mm -hmm. and to see what comes and then that voice of the intuition and then on the other hand, not to overthink it because sometimes we get into that where it will be the intuition and then we try to analyze it Mm -hmm. so much so that it may not make sense through the analytical mind and we overthink it and then we don't follow that intuition and then that blows up <laughs> so it's 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 really tricky but i think the more sensitive we become the more that voice of the intuition awakens and speaks and then to listen to that and to trust it and to try and to see, did it work out? Is it good? Is it my best interest? So you have enough experiences like that, and then you know, okay, it is my intuition, and I do have this access available to me. Hmm. And to use it as a tool. Hmm.
0: Intuition is a tool, or you the You could mind? use
1: that as a tool
0: yeah.
1: in life to guide you as a guiding principle. Hmm. Imagine if every decision you made was based on your intuition.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm.
1: But I think it's important to weigh the pros, to weigh the cons, and then to bring that to meditation and then just see what comes.
0: The mind itself, it, it seems that our relationship to our mind and our thoughts is really important on the path. The mind is, is amazing. Right? The human mind, there's evidence all over of the, you know, amazing capabilities of the human mind. At the same time, you know, I think the essence of the spiritual path is, I don't know, and seeing the limitation of, of the small self, or the mind Is that very important on, on the path to kind of again use humility as you said um, to, re- to reflect on the mind and form an appropriate relationship with the mind that my mind is an amazing tool so you admire it you admire mm-hmm. what it can do but at the same time say I don't know you know I don't in relationship to our wants directly. I think that this would be a good thing for me to have, you know, be good for me to have more money or more things or whatever. I want that. But ultimately, I don't know. And God, it's it's up to you. Uh, you know what's best for me.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I think the key there is really attachment. It's okay to want things and to need things. And it's perfectly okay. Like I said, weighing the pros and cons in in life situation, having a mind as a gift, as a tool, an intelligent mind, and to be able to weigh and assess. Um, The thing that I think gets us in trouble is when we get attached to things through our mind and through our ego, Mm -hmm. And we want things very, very badly, and we want it right now. And through our our will, we can make things happen. And then the question is, is that God's will? And when we start getting signs and signals that, uh-uh, maybe it really isn't in our best interest to have the wherewithal and the discipline to back off, rather than to just push through it anyway and <laughs> pay the price.
0: But is there anywhere that God's not? Is there, any, is there such a thing as not being God's will? You know, right?
1: I think all is according to, to God's will. You know, he is the doer.
0: So even if we don't back off, maybe we weren't supposed to back off time. That's what makes it tricky, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. But, you know, we're here to learn things. We're here to learn certain lessons and sometimes we have to learn harsh lessons in a difficult way so that we really get it and we really understand it. Mm. But it's all a big school, really. Mm. It's just a learning process and hopefully we learn our lessons well so we keep repeating that which works and keep minimizing that which doesn't Mm. until, you know, we finally get it, whatever those messages of life is. Mm.
0: Yeah, Swami Satchidananda loves to say that this is all a school. Life is a university. And as soon as I hear that, a certain lightness, a feeling of lightness Mm. comes over me. Um, So is is there a, a line between... As you said, honoring your life, taking it seriously, but at the same time also being very light about how we move move through everything and almost seeing it as a fun game. Hmm. And and is that element of, of funness very important on a spiritual path?
1: I, I do believe so, because I think that um, especially, you know, when a person is is just beginning on a spiritual path, they tend to be very serious. And through their devotion, though, I must say, they take it to heart, and everything becomes very, very rigid and serious. And I think after a while, like where Swamiji's state of mind was in consciousness, was eventually is to become a little bit less edgy Mm -hmm. and a little bit more rounded (laughs) and just see the play in it. And as you say, the humor in it, and basically it's like, don't bother yourself. <laughs> but in a good way, in a healthy way, that um, you see the signs and it's like, don't go there. Mm. Um, so in that regard, it becomes a little bit less serious. And you're quicker to pick up the signs of what is or isn't than the, you know, just this seriousness of each and every situation
0: <laughs> you find that uh, a feeling that whatever path you take is the right path because that's the path you're taking that attitude <laughs> leads to taking the right path more often you understand what i mean like a a certain allowance for as opposed to a rigidness of oh, i got to make i have to make this decision and i have to make the right decision as, uh, the, uh, the flip side of that being, if I decide this, it's going to be right. If I decide that's going to be right. And that lightness mm-hmm. allows for um, more right decision-making.
1: Right, some breathing room. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think it ultimately is compassion to the self. Mm-hmm. Is not to be so hard on yourself. There is no perfect situation. There is no life that's perfect. There is no life without mistakes and without learning opportunities. You know, sometimes um, you know. I know for myself, I like to to know. I like to be clear about something. Uh, you know, the discomfort for me is ambiguity. You know, uh, where you're not quite sure what to do, that's very confusing for me. Even if the path is hard, but I'm clear of what it is, I'd rather do that than just be floundering around, Mm. not knowing. But sometimes we really don't know, and you have to relax into that state of unknowing. Mm. And to just, until you're supposed to know, will you? And sometimes you just have to relax there, even though it might not be comfortable. Mm.
0: Okay, final question. Can you share one thing that you would like to improve upon yourself?
1: Personally? Personally, yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, I think like anything, you know, discipline and, you know, I'm a human being. You know, sometimes you do better, I do better or worse, even at my own discipline. And so I think, does um, you know, being more and more devoted, disciplined um, in my own practice is always something that I think will benefit me and ultimately benefit the world at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, The more I could improve myself is a contribution to the conscious effort of all of humanity.
0: I have to ask one follow-up question on discipline. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Is discipline something that confines us or ultimately is our discipline uh, an avenue to free us, to make us more free?
1: I think it's like a path, a pathway. It's a road. I think the ultimate goal of discipline gets us to where we want to go rather than floundering with no path or no uh, road up ahead. It's almost like having a flashlight in a dark tunnel. It makes sense to go with a light to follow the flashlight than to kind of try to wait, make my way through in the dark and stumble, mm. but to go with the flashlight and just get there. So it's kind of similar to that. So it's a pathway. Mm.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. I
0: right. really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. We'll close with the sound of home. Oh.